then I would love it if you are from a different nationality and you know your language for you to um, say hello back. So what I want to do is just say hi to everyone and my name's John and I speak English. Where are, where are the other cultures and nationalities? Just say, do you want us to just say hello? Just call it out. <laughs> the English. <laughs> Talofa. Spanish. Mexico, lovely to have you with us. From the Philippines? Kamusta? Wow, I'm good. Good morning, good morning, German. Pika? Thai? Got up from, from New Zealand. Where are our South Africans? You come come twice. Anyone else? You know, as we've been just looking at missions for a few weeks, isn't it great to know that there are people from all different cultures with us on any given week? Um, and you're part of us, you're part of New Zealand. We love having you here, it's, it's really, really good. Steve Hills is very keen to get out and count that offering today. He's hoping that he's gonna have fun at the end of the service with myself and Seb and maybe some of you and things as well. Hey look, I, I listened to Graham's message after I'd pre uh, prepared this message and so you'll see there's a tie on from what Graham was preaching on last week. Look, God, God wants to use us. He really, really wants to use us. But, um, and he will do that every single day if we're open to him. But if he can grow his message and his spirit and his life within us to a greater degree, in other words, make us more healed, make us more whole, then our effectiveness in being able to share the, share the light will just continue to absolutely grow. And, and God is doing amazing things around the world. The enemy is trying to do all sorts of things around the world. Have you noticed? A lot of things. Alex is going to be talking on this in, at the end of, end of June of just some of the things that are coming upon the world and laws that are being passed, etc. But God has got the enemy stumped. God is doing amazing things with his church too. And he wants to do incredible things amongst us. So have you ever been glad... Have you ever woken up and just thought, I am really glad that God hasn't given up on me? Yeah, yeah. me too, me too. I've got a friend who's just gone through two dark months of severe depression. And, and when he was talking with me, you know, he was so glad that God was with him every single day, didn't give up on him. I received an email from another friend who's, who's just got um, cancer that's spread within her body in lymphoma. And uh, she is so glad that God has not given up on her. 
And I don't know what you're facing. Mike brought out that perhaps people are, are facing all sorts of things. Perhaps you're battling a besetting sin, a sin that you just keep falling into over and over. Or perhaps your family has turned against you. Or perhaps you're under financial pressure. But I really want to tell you that God will never, ever give up on you because he loves you. And I entitled this sermon, Oh, How God Loves Us. But there's another title to it that I gave it as well, and that is, How Secure Are You in His Love? Are you? Or that. How secure are you actually in the fact that God loves you? Some Christians spend most of their lives trying to get God to love them, which is really silly because it's like people who get up in the morning and say, I want the sun to shine on me. If the sun is up, it will. God already loves these Christians. But so many of us fall into what is called religion, where we make everything conditional on us, conditional on whether we've been good or not as to whether God will love us. In other words, we make our Christianity all about us instead of being all about God. But when it's all about us, it's like being on a treadmill. Most of you, you all know what a treadmill's like. W William, can I get you to come up here and just demonstrate what running on a treadmill is like? All right, now let's just see William's style. Come out a bit where you're in the light, William. That, that's good. And let's just get going. And, and if you change the dial, you can speed yourself up a bit. Or you can slow it down just so that you're coping. But life is like a treadmill. And there's a lot of Christians who are trying to say, God, look at me. God, I'm being good. But of course, every once in a while, they're bad. And so they tend to put their head down. And then they say, God, God, I'll prove to you that I'm, I'm still good. I'll run faster. I'll run faster for you, God. If you just forgive me, I'll run faster for you. And I'll do press-ups. So let's see some of those as well. Okay, just stop. And what they... What they don't know is that there is a royal chair that they're able to sit on without any of that and just let the love of God shine on them, the blessing of God shine on them. I don't know how long you took, but I took years to learn this. I was always waking up thinking I've got to do more to please God. You probably were too. Thanks, William. Enjoy the chair. You know, the benefits of God's love are always coming upon us, but they can only be fully embraced if we believe. If we believe in Jesus and believe in his love for us. And it's easy to shift from sitting here one day to finding yourself another. And we've got to constantly bring ourselves back here. Because you see, the problem is... We've got a faulty mind. And we've got to reprogram our mind, the Bible says, so that we can be confident that this is enough. I trust you, Jesus. I believe in you, Jesus. You are loving me, Jesus. You'll never stop loving me, Jesus. And the Father loves me. The Spirit loves me. And it's all through the access that I have from you, Jesus Christ. I used to have a car with a radio that I could not program. So I'd set it all up, I'd get it right on all the stations, turn the car off, 
get up the next morning, turn it on, press that button, and all I'd get is static. It just would not remain set. These days, I would just call Micah, and he'd do it for me. But I didn't have a Micah at that stage. So I'd have to reprogram it again. And when we get out of bed, often the buttons aren't set. And from the moment we get go on the day, we're hoping and praying and doing stuff. God, I sinned yesterday. I'll do four press-ups, five press-ups, 30 press-ups. And that's why some people, when they get into their 40s, they go, I can't do this anymore. I'm out of here. It doesn't work. Because all their life they've been trying to earn something that is theirs. And that's the starting point. Just the starting point. We've got to program our mind and we have to reprogram our mind until it becomes real. And it becomes real in our life as God gives through revelation downloads it to us so that it stays. It goes from our head to our heart, if you like, but it stays with us that we are loved, that we actually matter. And, and we've been raised on unconditional love, every single one of us. Mummy will love you if. Mom, uh, you can have that biscuit if. You, you will get a good job if you get good grades. And we've been taught conditional love, conditional love, conditional love. I've got to perform to be acceptable to my family and to people and even to myself. And God says, I love you unconditionally. No condition. It's so hard to believe. It just doesn't seem right. Oh, gee. The first thing that I, I, I want to say three things today. And that is that God loving us is all about him, not about us. And the second thing is that his love isn't dependent on how, how well we're doing and being good. Now, that's quite a radical statement, but it's true. And the third statement is his love leads him to take, to take action. In other words, he makes a way where there is no way because he's loving. But God loving, God is loving, God loving us is all about him. If we can just bring up that scripture. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that's what we are. Can we have the next one? We love because he first loved us. You know, you can't be angry and lavish. If you're putting cream on your dessert, you are not angry if you're lavishing that cream. You are delighted. Some of you should put less. But it says he loved us first. When we were all messed up, when we didn't even know he existed, his love was shining down upon us and his love was drawing us towards him. It's an amazing thing. And God loves not because he chooses to love. The Bible tells us he loves because he is love. So love is the natural thing that he does. Everything comes out of love. It's not a choice thing in that respect. That he's just exactly that. And his message, the message of Jesus, is that um, the, it's called the good news. And, and it actually sounds as if it's too good to be true, the message of Jesus. I want you to close your eyes and I want to tell you the message of Jesus. Give me a wink when you've closed your eyes. 
Ah, caught you, caught you. Give me a wave when you've closed your eyes. Everyone got, got your eyes closed? Here's the message of Jesus. He loves you. He loves you right as you are today. He doesn't judge or condemn you. He loves you. And he doesn't love you more if you do good things. And he doesn't love you less if you mess up. And here's the second part of his, of, of his message. Keep your eyes closed. This is the making of a way. He loved you so much that he created a way to forgive and to purchase you back if you're willing and if you choose to repent. Okay, you can open your eyes. You see, God loving us isn't universalism, that God is so loving that he's just going to let everybody off. He's like Father Christmas. Have you been good this year? Everyone goes, all the little kids go. But we all know they weren't. There were lots of times when they were little mischief makers. But Father Christmas gives them the gifts anyway. God's not like that. He is loving. He will love people forever. Whatever their destination, he'll still love them. But he loves us so much that he's made a way that we can have eternity in his, in his best place, in his prepared place. You know, the more I go on with God, the more grateful I am that he is who he is. The more I find out about me and the more I find out about him, the more I realize, flip, we've got a good God. He's amazing. The second thing is that God loving us is not dependent upon how we live. And now this truth is really hard to believe because we've been trained in conditional love. And it seems even risky to believe that. Um, we're concerned that it will somehow unleash sin in our lives because we not find that God has already forgiven us and we know that he will continue to forgive us. So therefore, maybe we should just go and sin. And it seems heretical. But when the love of God gets deep down into our life, that's the last thing that actually becomes a motivating thing in our lives. And so God says over and over and over again, it's about me loving you. It's not dependent on how you're doing and performing in your life. Have a look at this scripture in Romans chapter 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? For I am convinced that neither death nor life neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future. Now, let me just press pause there because he's saying that nothing in our present existence or our future life, nothing we do, nothing we say, where our life heads, what we get up to, will stop God from loving us. But it doesn't mean that God will be pleased by all the things that we do. And it doesn't mean we won't face natural consequences of poor or dumb decisions. And it doesn't mean that God won't lovingly discipline us. But it does mean that we can have absolute confidence that we can always turn to him and trust him and he will always welcome us back. Because you see, God makes ways. And he's actually given us an amazing gift that we could never earn but it changes everything in our life. He made a way that we can actually come into his kingdom, right? Get saved, become Christians. But he's also made another way. Because God loves us too much 
and he refuses to let us as Christians remain trapped in sin. Can I say that again? Because I actually want us to get it. God loves us so much, he refuses to leave us as Christians trapped in sin. Christianity is not just loved people who sin and get forgiven, sin and get forgiven, sin and get forgiven. That's not Christianity. It's not the full truth of what Christianity is. Because he's provided a way for us to actually get righteous. To be absolutely right before God. So that we don't have to hide. So that we don't have to be scared. Righteous. Isn't that good news? That's what, the, that's what causes the world to do this. And even Christians to do this. Because they're wanting to be righteous. But they're thinking the way to get there might be to jog enough. Now you lose weight. But it won't do anything in the vertical relationship. God's provided a way for us to be righteous. Have a look at these verses. But now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where am I going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the, to your truth, the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper, who's the helper? Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will not come. But if I depart, I will send the Holy Spirit to you. And when the Holy Spirit has come, the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they do not believe in me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, of judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. I still, you see, Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot hear them now. However, when the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth has come, the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. For the Holy Spirit will not speak on the Holy Spirit's own authority, but whatever the Holy Spirit hears, the Holy Spirit will, sp will speak. And the Holy Spirit will tell you things to come. So the Holy Spirit is a revealer. That's part of a huge part of what the Holy Spirit's ministry is. When he comes upon us, he fills us like he did the other day, powerfully with that energy that just came into our lives. But he is also a revealer of things God is wanting to say to his people. And the Holy Spirit will glorify me, for the Holy Spirit will take what is mine and declare it to you. And so there are things that the Holy Spirit wants to do upon us, but there are things that the Holy Spirit wants to do within us. And he's got three core objectives for every single Christian, or for every single person, and then every single Christian. He wants to convict of sin, and then convict of righteousness, and then convict of judgment. Now, I want to suggest to you that there are two groups of people that are being referred to here. The first group is the world, and that's where every single one of us was when we got convicted of sin to the point that we actually repented and asked God into our lives. Was there anyone not in the world when you got saved? Anyone have another habitation? <laughs> we're, all, we're all there, right? The Holy Spirit's job is to convict. So be encouraged as you're praying for family. Don't give up. Keep praying. Keep believing. It's the Holy Spirit's job. Be part of that and talking to them. But the just keep praying. The Holy Spirit's working in that area. 
But he also has, uh, the sec second thing is once people have become Christians, he's now talking to the church. He's talking to the disciples at that time. And the Holy Spirit has the objective of convincing or convicting that the, the Christians are righteous. Is anyone familiar with the Holy Spirit convicting you of sin? You can just raise your hand just a little bit, just so I can see that you're with me, all right? Just as powerfully as the Holy Spirit convicts of sin, just as powerfully he wants to convict you that you're absolutely righteous as a Christian. Just as powerfully as sin can be exposed in an instant in our lives by the work of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit wants to convict or convince you that you're righteous. And he also wants to convict or convince you of the fact that Satan has been judged. Because authority in our lives as Christians comes from knowing that the enemy of the kingdom of God has already been judged. That's where the authority, as we speak out, that changes circumstances comes from. And the Holy Spirit wants to convict and build that in our lives. But many, many Christians have been dodging or ignoring or not hearing the convicting power of God's Holy Spirit that you're righteous. We've all got these little voices that go off in our heads and say, you're no good. That'll never happen in your life. God doesn't really love you. And God wants to convict us to the point where we understand we have been given righteousness so that that little voice can get reprogrammed every time. No, I'm setting the dial. And then, what's that dot? That's the, the set dot. The remain dot. But those voices are there because we've been trained as kids growing up in conditional love. Am I making sense? And the Holy Spirit wants to give us um, uh, convict us in that area of righteousness. So I want to ask you, where are you at on that convict, deep, heartfelt conviction that God loves you and he has made you righteous? Where are you up to? If it's, a, if it's a spectrum line, a continuum, are you here? Are you here? Are you in the middle? Do you have huge jumps or there are just little jumps that actually take place? Because Christians are really woolly in their thinking about righteousness. We talk about being sinners saved by Now that's true. But that was when we were outside of the kingdom and entered it. Once you're in the kingdom, the Bible never ever calls you a sinner. Do you know what it calls you? Say it out loud. Say it to the person next to you. I am a My name is Come on, say it to the person next to you. My name is St. John. St. Jeanette. St. Nathaniel. St. Declan. That's who the Bible says, it says that we are. And yet we keep going back to that old adage because we've heard it so many times. I'm a sinner saved by grace. Where is the focus of our Christianity? If it's on, I'm a sinner who's just going to sin, what we focus on, we tend to become. And God says, get a change of language. 
Because when we focus on us being saints, what it does is it sets our shoulders back. It lifts our back straight. It brings our eyes and our head up. But if I, you turn to the person next to you and say, you sinner. <laughs> what does it do? Their eyes go down and they go, yeah, yeah. I knew I shouldn't have. But tell them they're a saint again. Let's get that sinning thing off their life. Tell the person next to you that they're actually a saint. God even said to the Corinthian church, the one that had sin problems like sexual problems and, and, and affection problems and gossip problems, he even called the Corinthians saints. And this takes revelation. And it doesn't happen in a moment or an instant, but it takes a, a journeying with God over time and, and, and study and revelation from Him as it gets down. And it's the difference between sitting here, hanging out with God as a friend. Oh God, if you just forgive me again, I'll do press-ups, God. And people are doing that, even in the church. Have a look at this amazing verse in Romans chapter 5. It says, For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, Adam, if through by the trespass of Adam death reigned through that through Adam, how much more? I love that. Just say it with me. How much more will those who, who receive God's abundant provision of grace? You know, if, you, if you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord or Savior, there is nothing that that abundant provision of grace will not cover. I remember um, seeing a, a group of guys who, who would have been Vietnam War vets come out and hassle a guy on, on Queen Street who was preaching the gospel. And one of them said, you know, I've killed people. How could I possibly be forgiven? The abundant provision of grace is there but look at what else it says and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man Jesus Christ there's two things here the abundant provision of grace which is forgiveness but also the gift of righteousness now what is that well it's what's called the great exchange on the cross Jesus took all of our sin and he gave us forgiveness but he also gave us, he took all of our sin and he gave us his perfect record of him as a little baby and then a child and then a teenager and then an adult and he never ever sinned. Even when they were throwing rocks at him and whipping him and nailing things into his hands, he did not sin. And Jesus took that complete perfect record and gives it to every single one of us when we give Jesus our sin. He gives us forgiveness and he gives us a perfect record. In the Roman illustration of the armor, it's the righteousness that goes over the very center of our heart and life. And when we've just messed up, or here, do we have to spend a certain amount of time groveling here or do we actually know that we are the righteousness of Christ? You know, grace doesn't excuse sin. It doesn't wipe it under the 
or don't worry about it, just forget it, you're completely perfect in God's sight, he sees Jesus, it's not like that at all, Jesus said, uh, see we will never ever be perfect, and this is the conundrum, this is the quandary, Graham was preaching on this last week, as we've got to come to, to, to grow, grow up in, in Christ, you know when Jesus washed um, the disciples' feet, he said you are clean, but you've got a little bit of dirt on your feet, I'm just going to come around and clean it, Peter said, Wash the rest of me then. And, and Jesus referred to him and said, no, you are actually clean. There's just a little bit on your feet. And we, do, we are human beings. None of us are perfect. How secure are we in God's love when we've just messed up that we can just come to here and go to God and say, God, you've already forgiven this and I just want to confess it. I want to be real and I want to thank you for the forgiveness that you've given me. Or do we have to spend time jogging before we have the courage to be able to sit on the seat? Because when you know the gift of righteousness in your life, that's your position. That's my position. But we've got to reprogram our mind to be able to sit and live there. So friends, I, I want to ask you, what is your, where is your identity? Is it based, it's either going to be based on being a sinner or being a saint. What are you focused on? Is your Christianity focused on sin management? So hopefully you'll sin less. And, and, but if you, if you focus on sin management, you so often get back on the treadmill. Or is it focused on believing that you're already loved and you're righteous and you're clothed in Jesus' perfect record? Because the outcome of this, or the, the goal of this, and the goal of this are the same destination. People are thinking, I'll, I'll, I'll be made righteous. People are thinking, I am righteous. The goal is the same thing. One works and one doesn't. One seems as if it would be the way to get right with God, but it isn't. And one seems as if it wouldn't be right because it's, it's just believing in Jesus and trusting him and leaning into him. But it is the right way. And so when we come to communion, which I want us to do now, um, I really just, just want to ask you and, and just, just say, where are you at on this journey of getting the knowledge that you are righteous, that you carry the perfect record of Jesus Christ over your own life? Where are you at in terms of that? And if, you've been, if you know the sin in your life, and, and uh, you, you need to just, just confess that and, and just... You say thank you for the forgiveness that God has for you. But maybe today you want to just say, God, I need a fresh revelation of this truth. I need more understanding of the fact that you see me righteous. You've given me forgiveness, but you've also given me a perfect record of Jesus Christ. Because the Holy Spirit, as powerfully as he convicts of sin, wants to convict and convince us of the righteousness that's been given by Christ to us. So if the team can come up and uh, those that are going to help, the elders that are going to help share could just prepare the tables. Um, I just want to lead us into that time of, of um, communion. It's a totally different way of looking at communion because usually we're examining ourselves for sin. But the cross brings forgiveness. The 
cross brings healing. And the cross brings that great exchange, that divine exchange of our sinfulness for Christ's righteousness. And I want to just encourage you to come and to, to do business with God. If you need healing, this would be a great time. Just pick up the elements and throw it in Brenda, I'm sure will be here just to bless you, just to release healing into your life. Uh, let, let that happen if that's what's necessary. When we were worshipping at the very beginning there, Robert turned to me and he said, the Holy Spirit's here like electricity. He just wants a connection. Well, friends, let's make this that connection time. Don't make it a routine. Just come and take the elements, go back, sit down, and just start talking to it. Just allow that conversation of you and God to, to go where God wants it to go. But if you need prayer, please come for that as well. Lord, I just want to bless these elements, and I thank you that you tell us that we are to constantly do this, to come back to the cross. And Lord, many of us, I guess all of us know that the cross is about forgiveness. And we're embracing, Lord, that the cross is about healing. But Lord, the cross is also the divine exchange of our sin for your righteousness. And I pray that that will sink deep into our lives as we take communion today, that we are saints. And that we will start to think of ourselves as saints, to declare ourselves as saints, and to treat other people as the saints that they are. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please feel free to come and get the elements when you're ready.